Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. And I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope this message inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy today's message. Today, that's, I have a friend that I want to introduce you to. We met over 30 years ago. And you know what that means? That means that we both had a lot of hair back then. We both had a lot of hair. And, uh, and you know, today it's my honor to introduce you to my friend. His name is Chad Smith. We're going to call him up in just in a second. But Chad has been a great friend. And let me tell you something. He's taught me so much. I've learned so much from him. And he pastors the second greatest church in Georgia. Some of you are going to wake up tonight getting that one. You're going, oh, okay, I got that, right? He pastors a, a church in uh, Tacoa, Georgia. It's in northeast Georgia. They run about 1,500 people every week. God has blessed their ministry in such a great way. The best part of Chad I want to introduce to you now, and that is Miss Danette. Danette, would you just wave at everybody right here? This is Miss Danette. <clears throat> That's the best part of him. And so, uh, so I just want you to give a big Stockbridge community welcome to Pastor Chad Smith. Chad, would you come? Well, good morning, SCC. What's up? Man, glad to be here. Thank you, Jeff, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, yeah, so honored to be with you guys. Beautiful church. I haven't been here since your expansion. It just looks amazing. I failed to do this in the first service, so I need to do this or I'll be in trouble the rest of the week. I am so glad my beautiful wife is with me today. She is the best part of me, and I'm lucky she's still around, to be honest with you. Uh, but anyway, Jeff and Rhonda, dear friends of ours for three decades, and it's true, we did have a lot of hair, uh, and we don't now, and that's a lot of because of ministry, to be honest with you, it's ministry. Uh, but Jeff is uh, a faithful friend. He's the most intentional friend I have. And to be honest, he was a friend when the list grew short. And I uh, love you, and I love you, Ron, and thank you so much. And it means a lot that I'm the same way with our stage, and it means a lot that he trusts me with you guys. So hopefully the Lord will speak to us today. You okay with that? Amen. If you don't mind, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And uh, I do a little something. I ask my people to stand when we read the scripture. So if you don't mind, would you do that just for me? Well, and for the Lord. That'd be great too. Matthew 5. And it'll be on the screen. How many brought a Bible? Raise your hand. If you got the Bible in your hand. Oh, okay. How many, you're, you're really cool and it's on your phone and you're not on Instagram, but you're only a Bible app on your phone. All right. How many have nothing at all? Raise your hand. You just trust whatever's on the stage. Well... Find somebody with a Bible, a real Christian, and look over with them, and uh, they'll help you out. I'm joking. Verse 17, Matthew 5. You ready? Say, let's go. <laughs> what is this delay? I mean, is it like a wave? We're going to be ready in a minute? What do I need to do? And I forgot my reading glasses, so I'm going to look on the screen with you. Let's do that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus talking. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I, truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, listen, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law. None of it's going away until everything has been accomplished. 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 20 is the punch. And he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. My, my hope today is to present a very simple, easily to understand gospel message to you. Uh, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray, I need your assistance, Lord, more than any other time of the week uh, when we pastors stand before your people and uh, speak your word, Lord. I, it's just a solemn, sacred time. I don't take it lightly. And I just ask that the Holy Spirit would come and make this preaching effective Take a finite understanding of a frail human and somehow speak through him as a conduit, a messenger of gospel truth. And I pray your anointing is in the room to, to anoint every hearer that they are ready to receive your message as well and hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we'll give you the praise. Everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. you. May be seated. Thank you so much. Well, I wish I could tell you a genius is standing in front of you, but it's really not that way at all. Uh, I, I went to Clemson, and that's already going to be a strike against me with a lot of you. Uh, we did pull off a win yesterday, miraculously, but I'm glad we did. Uh, I, was, I went through engineering school, and, you know, I didn't want to be an overachiever, so that 4.0 stuff wasn't for me. My wife did all that mess. I just wanted to fly under the radar, you know, just a good 3.0, graduate with that. And that's what I did. But there was one semester I really flirted with academic probation. Uh, and there was this class called, uh, it was a physics class called dynamics. Anybody familiar with this stuff and kinetics and the law of motion and stuff? It was horrible. And I would, I, I mean, I barely eked by with a passing grade. And this is the class that really taught me to learn to pray for grading on the curve. Is anybody thankful for the curve when you were going through school? Like, I would literally come in with 58s and 64s and pray that the smartest guy in class would come in at an 85 so that I would have 15 points added to my grade. I passed that class because of the beautiful curve. It was beautiful. Until you realize when you get out of the class and you actually get a job, you can't do your job on a curve. You actually have to be accurate and correct. And it gets more serious when you start talking about your spiritual life. Because God doesn't grade on a curve. And heaven doesn't accept people with various tiers of performance acceptance. You don't get in because you got a 78. You don't get into heaven because you had an 88. Somebody has lived the life and already ruined the curve for all of us. So when Jesus comes and he looks at his, not only his disciples, but everybody that was at the Sermon on the Mount, he looked at them and said, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, when he said that, that was a punch in the gut to all of them because everybody knew the Pharisees were the upper echelon of religious adherence. If anybody prayed, it was the Pharisees. They prayed more. They fasted more. They knew the Torah. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew all the rules, and they followed them to the letter. And when he said, if, if you don't do better than them, you're not getting in, it was like, what? Then nobody's going to make it. And that was kind of his point. He was saying, you don't have what it takes to make it. They don't have what it takes to make it because the, the standard of heaven is perfection. Perfection. 
So Jesus comes and lived this, lives this life in human flesh, and he was never sinful. He never gave in to temptation. He never said a, 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 a curse word or a cross word of, of sin to anybody. He lived a perfect life, and he made a hundred. And thereby, he ruined the curve for all of us. We don't get in unless we make a hundred. And there's where we have an issue. Because none of us are, come on, let's be honest. How many are doing, none of us are making 100 on this thing. So we need some help. So I'm trying to present to you a gospel message that helps you get there. There's three things I want to hit real quick. Real quick outline, real easy outline, just to follow along with me. The first thing in our society, did somebody laugh when I said quick? Quick is relative to preachers. I have to be honest with you. But anyway, in your outline, number one, the first thing we have to do is to tear down the idols of personal choice and individualistic expression. We have idols in society. The idol of society of ours. Well, let's first talk. When Jesus, well, I mean, when the Lord was taking his children into, into the Canaan land, into promised land and, and Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and, and those books, he was worried that when they got in the promised land, that the gods of the land they inherited would end up infecting them. His number one concern is, can I bless you and put you in a land of prosperity, even though it's a land of idolatry? Can I trust you to be fully devoted to me and not allow the idolatry of that culture or that generation to infect you? He was concerned about that. That's why he said, don't marry uh, those women, because, not because of a, a, a tribal thing, but because their gods would become your gods. He said, so I, I'm concerned that... You'll be guilty of idolatry. And his concern was spot on because the entire Old Testament shows that Israel had a problem with idolatry. The same temptation is ours today. Can we live in 21st century United States of America without giving in to the idols of our nation? Can we live a godly, devoted Christian life without giving in and succumbing to the pressure of the idolatry of our age? Now, I'm sure you don't have a, a golden statue in your house and you're not bowing down to it. Ollie on Bali on Bali. I'm sure you're not doing that, but we have idols in our society nonetheless. I believe every generation has a predominant idol. I think each generation's got one that's kind of held up in society more than others. And we could debate it, but I, I kind of firmly believe that this generation's idol is personal expression or individual choice. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is how I identify. This is my choice, my body, my life, my religion. How dare you say that that's the culture we're living in. I mean, it goes down to silly, stupid things like a cup of coffee. Now, back in the thirties, when I was growing up, coffee was it was black, and you were lucky if you had the choice of cream and sugar. That was it. And then you, when you really graduated, you went to a fancy place that would offer you calf or decaf. Not today. Not with you 10 bucks, people. I call Starbucks 10 bucks because you ain't getting out without spending 10 bucks. Starbucks, you put that coffee up there, y'all got all kind of options. Is it going to be large, vente, grande? Is it going to be soy? Is it going to be cappuccino? Is it going to have the sprinkled pumpkin spice on top? Is it going to be uh, non-fat, big fat, all fat? I don't know. You have all these options because we want what we want our way and we want choice. And that, that goes to all the society. Matter of fact, I think this is the greatest snowflake society we've ever known, just to be honest with you. I played baseball, and I see all the gear you guys buy your kids. They've got three bats. Eight-year-olds got three bats in their bag. Got gloves, got their own helmet. 
Let me tell you, when I was coming through, the helmet I used was the helmet the guy two in, two in front of me used. He had lice. It didn't matter. We put it on our heads anyway, you know? We didn't have choice. We didn't have our own stuff. A bunch of snowflakes, and you, your kids are riding skateboards. you got knee pads, elbow pads. They look like Michelin Man. They're so protected. We built ramps with plywood and cinder blocks. We did car seats. My mama saved my life with her arm right there. That was the car seat we had. Nope, y'all, we got options. We got choices. And it's funny when you talk about coffee and your little snowflake kids, but when it gets to religion and I want my choice, now it gets serious. Because our society is one where they don't want me to look at them and say, I believe your religion is a false religion. Buddhism is not going to get you to heaven. Who are you to say that? Allah is not a real God. He's not going to get you. Who are you to say Muhammad is not real? I'm sorry, but I don't believe, you know, Jehovah's Witness is the way. It's my way. And they want their choice and their option. And how dare you say their religion isn't as legitimate as yours? And they get celebrities like Oprah Winfrey to come on and say, there are many paths that lead to heaven. And all these people are preaching a heretical doctrine to you, saying there are many religions, many paths. You can have your choice. You can have your way when Jesus says something the exact opposite. Amen. It goes to the LGBTQ movement. You go to LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, right? But that wasn't enough. Somebody comes along and says, I need another letter. I'm questioning or I'm queer. I said, all right, we'll add a Q. Well, I'm not lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning. I'm intersex. All right, we'll put an I on it. Well, I'm not one of those. I'm asexual. Okay, well, let's add an A. And now they got tired of it all, so they just put a plus down so that anybody who expresses anything else, they can be in the party. All because of personal expression. I know these are hot tops. Just relax. Hit your neighbor. Say, relax. Half of you didn't even do that. You're already puckered up so much. You, you're not, you're just... The gender thing. Now, I know my generation's old and decrepit, but there were two. And just like with a dog, when we want to know what a gender was, we turned it over and we looked and that's what it was. That's, we, that's how you figured it out. It's one or the other. It wasn't too complicated. I, I think we've overcomplicated the gender situation. Just, you know, you just look and there it is. That, that's what you, but they've come up with a third one now, right? So it's non-binary. It's even on government documents, by the way. It's a legitimized third gender on a government passport, I believe. Not non-binary. But now I found a website that's got over 50 genders. Over 50. So you tell me, male's not good enough for you, female's not. Non-binary means I don't even go to any one of those two. That's not good enough? No, we got to go 50-something of them. Gender queer, gender fluid, transgender, omnigender, pangender. All because somebody says, those, don't, those aren't what I am. I, so I want my expression to be this. All right, we'll add another one. This culture is eat up with my, what does abortion say? I want my body and I want, it's my body, so it's my choice. So we kill babies so you can have choice. This society is eat up with personal expression and personal choice. How dare you say my choice is wrong? And yet, here we come, and the, and, the, and the Word of God tells us, you know what? There is a truth. And the Lord wants us to come to a point where it's not about our expression. It's about us living the life according to His plan and His purposes and His glory. And this Word does not flex to my preferences. As much as I've tried to make it, 
You know, this is the way I am. This is my weakness. This is my temptation. I can't help it. This is who I am. The Word says, well, this is what I want you to be. And it doesn't flex to give me my preference. In, in other words, if I'm going to come to Jesus, I submit to his authority, his plan, his way. My life conforms to his truth, not his word conforming to my truth. That's Christianity. And the Lord said in Isaiah, there needs to come a day where you throw away all of your idols. Throw away, put it on the screen if you don't mind. Throw away those carved images. Throw away those things like you would menstrual rags. Oh, that wasn't the right one. It's the Isaiah. There we go. Then you'll defile your silver-plated idols and your gold-plated image. You'll throw away them like menstrual claws and call them filth. The Lord's wanting us to come to a point where we realize everything else that's not truth needs to be tossed aside. How do I do that? When we realize that I live for his glory. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of service and worship. My body as a living sacrifice for his glory. Not my choice, my body, his choice. So if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to give up your choice because if it's not his choice, it's wrong. Thank you. I mean, I'm glad one person, ah, me and you, we'll go all day, man. I can go to 3 o'clock if you can. He ain't saying amen no more. Number two, I just lost his amen. Just me now. Number two, accept the exclusivity of truth. We have to come to the point where the exclusivity of truth is, it's the only truth. The Bible makes things very simple to me. I mean, I'm, there's some complicated stuff. I mean, I'm not going to talk about the dragons coming out of the sea in Revelation. You know, there's some complicated stuff. But when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's a pretty simple statement. And in the Old Testament, when they were going in the, into the promised land, he was worried about their idols over there. Joshua came up to him in Joshua 24, verse 15, and he says, I tell you what, it may not be desirable for you to serve God, but choose whatever you want to do, whether you want to serve the God your ancestors did on the other side of the Euphrates, or whether you want to serve the God of the Amorites uh, where, in the land you're living now. But as for me, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And what it did, it categorized everything into two categories. There's the Lord and the truth and the right way. And you may read that and say, well, there's a bunch of gods. God of the Amorites, God of the, across the Euphrates, all those gods. Yeah, but he categorized them into all one big conglomerate of falsehood. You can pick one of them, but you're still in the air of falsehood. The Bible brings it to two options. Now, you can believe that Buddhism is going to take you to a heaven of nirvana. You can believe that Allah is the real God. You can do all that, but it all categorizes up into this section right here. Wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know as Americans, you, it's my right. What I, you got a right to be wrong, too. <laughs> that's what all these others are, because Jesus comes on and he says, you know what, I'm giving you the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. And the thing about truth is, is stubborn. The truth doesn't bend, change for anybody. And it's very entertaining when you say, somebody, uh, somebody says, this is my truth. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean your truth? Is it different than your truth? How can truth be different? The whole concept of truth is, it is truth, and that means it calls out other things as error. Right. That's right. Absolute truth is not appreciated in our society because we want everybody to pass. We want everybody to get a participation trophy. 
So concerned about our kids' self-esteem, they, don't, they can't even handle losing. But truth, let's take a 50-question multiple-choice test. Do you know how you're going to know what you made? You're going to compare your answers, somebody help me out, to what? There's going to be an answer sheet, an answer key. And that answer key is the truth. And if you said what the answer key says, you're all right. If you didn't, eh, you're out. Now, you can start a petition, and you can have a new legislation saying the answer key is not fair, and it's not, tr- and it's not right, but truth laughs at that stuff. Truth is truth whether you vote on it or not. And the absolute truth statement is this. Absolute truth is final, meaning it's forever, and it's exclusive, which means it's alone the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no other name. No other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. No other name, brothers and sisters. Could you say those three words with no other name? No other name. It's Jesus. No other name. Muhammad's not the way. Christ is not the way. Joseph Smith is not the way. Jesus is the way. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son does not have life, will not see life. The truth is the truth, and it stands alone and says, this is the only way. And when we come to the, when we come to the point of the gospel, we will be judged according to our we believing and living the truth brothers and sisters. So number three, we have to come to this point. Well, before I go to number three, let's not do that yet. I'm not saying you don't have options. You've got options. I'm just saying they're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> Some of y'all aren't smiling at all. I mean, what am I? Did I, did I are you mad because I talked about your snowflake kids? Why are you mad at me? Come on, loosen up. Loosen up. The square root of 81 does somebody know the answer? Are you sure? <laughs> there was a few other ones. I don't know. Yeah, it's nine. It's nine. I made you doubt yourself, but that was funny. So the answer is nine. Now, there's a lot of answers to that question. The square root of 81, somebody could put two. Somebody could put 12. Somebody could get creative and write down Superman or blue. How many correct answers are there to the square root of 81? There's just one correct answer. Now, you got a right to give me all the other answers, but you're So what do we have to do if we're going to make it into heaven? Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't make it. First of all, you have to embrace that truth. If you, if you stiff arm that truth, you're in trouble. If you don't believe that I don't have to have a righteousness that Jesus talks about, then you're already in deep weeds. So number three, by faith, we have to experience the great exchange. Meaning we have to come to a substitution. We have to somehow make the hundred grade. And here's the problem with churches in America. If I can be honest with you, we, 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 we size each other up on the curve system. We, 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 we walk into church feeling pretty good about ourselves because we got an 88. You know, you didn't cheat on your spouse this week. You didn't go back into alcoholism this week. You're feeling pretty good. You're walking in here, I got my act together. I'm an 88. But an 88 goes to hell just as much as a 54 does. 
There is no boasting when it comes to grace. None of us earn it. None of us get, get there. None of us are worthy of it. We get to heaven with a hundred or nothing. The whole concept of barely getting into heaven is heresy. I always thought that would be me, though. Like, we'll get into heaven and say, oh, thank God, I barely made it. You ever thought that about yourself? Man, I'm glad. I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Nobody's going to barely make it into heaven. Just like nobody's going to feel, I'm pretty confident. I'm about 75% confident I'm going to make it in. Nobody's going to do that. If we get into heaven, we walk in not on our own credit, but on his credit. Which means there's no reason to boast or look over at your neighbor like you got it better than them. You may be more ethical than your coworker, but that's not why you're going to get into heaven. And you may not be an addict or an alcoholic like the person on the other side of the room, but that doesn't mean you're going to get it. Now listen, if we were comparing ourselves to Jeffrey Dahmer or Jeffrey Epstein, we would all be in pretty good shape. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even the worst of us in the room, surely you're better than Dahmer. Come on. Right? Somebody's like, who's Jeffrey Dahmer? Don't look it up. He's a bad guy. He's a really bad, bad guy. He's dead now. If we're comparing ourselves to him, we're all good. But when Jesus is the one that's the standard for heaven, we're all in trouble. We're all in a lot of trouble. Because he ruined the curve. He scored 100. So how are we going to get there? (laughs) Well, that's the conundrum. Because Isaiah says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Which means on your very best day. Listen to me, think of the best day. I mean, you went to church, you prayed on the square, you gave extra in the offering, you did all the stuff. On your best day, it's like filthy rags. We're in trouble. There has to be a solution, and Jesus gives it to us. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, if you put that on the screen, yeah, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And there's two miracles here. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That right there is a miracle. There's no way that Jesus would become sin because he's the perfect, spotless lamb of God. There was no sin in him. He was holy. And he just come and wrapped himself in human flesh. So the first miracle of 2 Corinthians 5 is that he who could not be sin became sin for us. And because he did that, the rest of the verse is a miracle for us. So that we could become something it's impossible for us to become. The righteousness of God. We were born unrighteous. We were born depraved. We were born sinful. None of us were pretty before Jesus got a hold of us. Let's be honest. But because he became sin for us, he made us the righteousness of God himself. So that I'm going to heaven, not with an 88 and a prayer, not with a 55 hanging on the coattails of my holy wife. I'm going into heaven with him saying, I am the righteousness of God. That's why we're going to heaven. So what does the cross do? The cross takes your test. It was... um, 15 years ago that I stood before my church in LaGrange and admitted that I had an affair on the most beautiful woman on the planet. 15 years ago, I was pastoring a church and I I had to confess that I broke their trust. I broke the heart of my wife. I rocked the, the life of my daughter. She was then third grade or something. I was a preacher 
who had fallen way short of the mark. Mad at the world, mad at church, mad at God, mad at me. I'll never preach again. I don't want it. It was a miserable moment, a miserable few years. And I don't know why I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm, I'm bringing it to you because I want you to know pastors don't get the easy pass. We're just as in desperate need of grace as anybody we're preaching to. There is no peach pass to heaven. There's no lane we can get in because you don't get immunity because you went to a Christian school. You don't get extra credit or brownie points because you serve in the church. We're all standing at the foot of the cross on equal ground, holding up our test scores, and they're way below the mark. You're holding up your best, and you know it's a 74. You're giving the best you got, and you know it's a 91, but it's not good enough. And you may be in this room like I was back in 2007, admitting just how what a mess I was, and I'm holding up a, a 32, and saying, I'm a mess. What can, what can God do for somebody who just embarrassed the entire gospel? A man who's supposed to have it together, you can't even live it, you're a mess. Get off the stage, be gone. And I'm here to tell you that the same thing that you can do is what I did. And you walk to the foot of the cross. And you take that 34, 71, 63, whatever you've got in your hand, whatever failure, whatever affair, whatever addiction, whatever lust, whatever pornography, whatever uh, gender situation you got going, you take it all to the cross. And you say, Lord, can you do something with this? Can you do something with this? Now, here's what Colossians 2 says. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Somebody say all. All All our sins. Not just before I became a preacher. All our sins. The 2007 admission, he forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. The enemy's got a whole laundry list of what you've done. A whole laundry, a file on you, man. A file of all of it. You may think it's hidden, but it's not written. There's a whole list. But the Bible says he took that which stood against us and he forgave us and he took it away. Do you know what he did? Nailing it to the cross. He took took your 53. He took my 41. He took your 78. And he nailed it to the cross because it wasn't good enough. And then when he rose from the dead, he gave you his test. And you know what his test score is? 100. Unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and matches perfection, it's not good enough. So he gives you his test. He made 100. It's got Jesus Christ on it. And right under his name has got a blank. And all of a sudden, he lets me write my name on it. You, listen to me. You may not have ever wanted me to be forgiven. I'm glad he didn't, he didn't consult you. 
You may never have wanted me to preach again. I'm glad he didn't consult you because what he did, he said, I died so that you might be free. I died so that you could live. I died so that you could be, have access to heaven. And I wrote my name where his name is. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my failures. He sees his son's righteousness. So, there's a, we've, we've gone through a Jude series in our church. And the benediction of Jude so, is so good. It says, now to him who is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory on that day. Did y'all hear that phrase? To him who is able to present you blameless, faultless, perfect before his presence on that great day of judgment. We're not, we're not awaiting judgment, scared of what he's going to see, scared of what he's going to say, scared of what it, why? Because I am in the hand of the one who is keeping me and he's presenting me glorious and perfect not because of how good I am. Hear me, not because of how good I am, because of how good he's been. His goodness is my goodness. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Isn't it good news? Would you stand on your feet, everybody? Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that if somebody walked in here just so aware of their shortcomings, so aware of the mess in their lives. May they be encouraged by the gospel message or even my story that that doesn't have to be the final chapter, that your death on the cross forgives all our sins. And you nail that note of debt that was standing against us. You nail it to the cross and you give us your righteousness. Lord, if somebody has come in and they've become very aware that, Lord, this idol of this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is my truth. I pray it falls down and it shatters at their feet so that they can embrace the one, the only truth, the way to heaven, Jesus Christ. In you alone are we saved. I pray that happens. Lord, even as I'm praying, if someone dares to say, Lord, I believe that you can forgive me, I receive the gift of salvation by grace. I'm not good enough. You are. I can't earn it. It's, it's your perfection given to me, imparted to me. I pray you save somebody even in this prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, may grace win big in this room in this moment because we lean on you and your righteousness and not our own. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.